Welcome to the 10th episode of Who's Editing, a thought experiment in which my guest and I appoint ourselves editors of a comic book line at DC Comics. But the joke's on us because we can only use characters of a specific issue of Who's Who and in fact must use them. I'll let you in on all the rules, but first, let's welcome my guest with which to create a line of books based on Who's Who number 10, the Time Priest himself. It's Tim Price. Hi, Tim. Hey, Siskoid. How you doing? I'm doing well. The girls say hi. They made sure to... Oh, that's nice. Hi, girls. I know they're not listening to the show. You can tell them hi for me. I will. Who's Who number 10? I sort of picked you out uh, from the crowd because uh, Halo is in it. She's an outsider. And that's, you know, you have a show on The Outsiders. Yes, I do. (laughs) So I I wanted, you know, there was a connection. Mm -hmm. This was also, let's tell the folks right now, this is probably the issue with the most heroic characters and teams, which means it's probably like the biggest assignment I've yet given on this show. So how, how did you feel about it? What, was, was it challenging to come up with so many concepts? Well, first off, I'm really bad at writing. So thank you <laughs> for, giving, <laughs> for giving me the, one of the most heroic characters. Uh, I've approached it very, maybe differently than most people did. I really kind of stuck to the elevator pitch approach. Just kind of coming up with some core concept that I could summarize in a sentence or two, borrowing heavily from other influences, whether it be TV, books, movies, whatever, that I could kind of just like put these characters into and elaborate a little bit on where it would go with them uh, specifically. So it was mm-hmm. it was really just, I really kind of just had tried to have fun with it. What would be a, a wacky thing to do with these characters? It's not always wacky funny. Uh, sometimes it was wacky dark and wacky scary, but just kind of just playing around with it, seeing where they would fit. There are a lot of hawk people, a lot of winged characters in this. There are a lot of hawk. There's just a yeah. page upon page of hawk. Now, I will admit that was a challenge to try to come up with something kind of distinct. And I, I really didn't want to cheat. I really wanted to make each of the Hawk family have a different series. Right. So I will admit that was a kind of a challenge. But it, sometimes it's just like what I would like sit back for a second and go for my first impulse, either from what I knew of the character or just their picture and kind of like, yeah, that's all I'll go with. And I just didn't overthink it. <laughs> just kind of said, I, I better just roll through these because otherwise I'll just be fretting it to death. Yes. I mean, there are a lot of Hawks. I mean, there's a Western series in there. There are like three war entries, which mm-hmm. is always a little challenging. Some, like characters from the future. And, and then you, you start to, are they going to stay in their own times or am right. I changing mm-hmm. that concept? So I also had some challenges. The hardest one for me was... Yes, a hawk character, or a character named Hawk something. I'll reveal it later. So one more time, here are the rules each episode of Who's Editing Will Go By. Our line of books must include a monthly series for every hero character or team featured, as well as any non-HQ locations, if, if there had been any. If two heroes are on the same entry, we can give each one a series. Combine them or single one of them out. So we get like many options here. We can give a villain or other entry their own series if we absolutely feel the need to. Uh, and we always have in the past, I don't know, but... So no pressure on me. Well, you know. <laughs> really, I wasn't going to do one because there's so many already. And then I ended up doing one. So well, it's just about what, you know, ideas. Yeah, well, <laughs> I did one too. <laughs> okay, so there you go. We'll we'll give those ones at the end. Imagine we're coming back from some crisis or other, so we can reboot characters. We can use any continuities version. It's really up to us what we do. We're editors. Titles don't have to match the entries. And note that we are each pitching our own ideas. And so we'll sort of end up with two possible lines of books. Listeners, 
you decide which books you'd actually want to read. So, Tim, other than the uh, elevator pitch, uh, the brevity of your, did you have a strategy? Honestly, not doing much of a throughput through all of these books. They all were just more or less part of the DCU or DCU adjacent, but I did not go for a theme with all of them. I did, though, with all of the characters with the same names in here, have a pitch for a crossover related to them. So that's, but that's okay. a separate thing, kind of above and beyond the Hawks. Because obviously, okay. obviously, it's about the Hawks. Like, usually, I just, you know, each series is very much kind of insular mm-hmm. on my part. It's very rare that I connect them. But this time, I did do an overarching thing. Because I've done away with Superman, Batman, etc. This is an Earth where they don't exist. My line Ah, is basically the entire DCU, I guess. Other heroes have filled those niches. I'm calling it Earth 777, and I'll explain why... Like pretty early in the process. That's interesting. I'm I am very intrigued now. Yeah, with issue ten of Who's Who, we have to include a minimum of twenty three books in our line and a maximum of twenty six once you count. Like, do Hawk and Dove have each a series? We could do that. So 26 is the maximum when you factor in those duos. Tim, I'm going to hand it off to you first with a duo, and then we'll do a bit of back and forth in entry order, and we'll keep our bonus villain series if we have one. Well, we do have one for the end. We start with Gunner and Sarge, or we, you could do a Gunner series and a Sarge series, or just a Gunner series. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, like I said... We could go wild with this, but what did you do with Gunner and Sarge? And don't forget the Pooch series that you also have to have because, you know, Pooch is also there. Spoiler, my series is a Pooch series, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Also, spoilers, in the flip side of me showing my laziness, no, I did not split up any of the duos. They all have just a paired series. But that also kind of worked for the concepts I was going for when I was just thinking about them. So there we go. But yeah, starting with Gunner and Sarge, the concept I came up with is think of the TV show Prison Break. Basically, our heroes are stuck in a POW camp. This is going to be more of an ongoing thing, kind of Hogan's Heroes-ish, where they might be saving the day. But in the end, they also like, eh, they really, this is actually a, an effort to try to break out of the prison. So we'll have stories. And I really would like to have the stories kind of told from either of their points of view in alternating issues. So there's issues where Gunner is telling it from his perspective and someone Sarge is doing it from his. And we definitely have to have some issues where Pooch is also the protagonist and showing it from his perspective. The basic idea, the basic concept I had is a prison break. There are a lot of great movies in that mold. Uh, Stalag, um, I can't remember the number, you know, King Rat. But yeah, there are a lot of great POW movies. So I can totally see. And there haven't been any like comic book series like that, that are, you know, that are so stuck there, you know, like to have that as a, as a setting. That's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, they'll have, they'll have like one shots of like the Avengers, the vault and stuff like that. But you know, the suicide squad where it's like the prison is the headquarters. It's not really the same thing at all. No. Interesting. Like I said, Pooch is is really my protagonist. It's called Pooch's Pals, Gunner and Sarge. I love it. It's a war comic, really unconnected to my larger scheme. Seen through the eyes of a dog. So Pooch is the super competent member of the canine unit who has to save Gunner and Sarge on every mission. Not that the two humans are useless, not at all. They're extremely unlucky, accident prone. They have propensity for getting into trouble. 
And at the end of an issue, Pooch will get a treat or a pat in the head, but Gunner and Sarge get all the accolades because they're humans, you know. And yeah, I'm right. giving oh, Pooch yeah. a, a fully human mind in terms of how we tell the story, what he's thinking and all of that. But I like the idea of getting, a, you know, going a little Hawkeye on it, uh, you know, with drawings representing his more animal impulses. So when he's tempted by a cat or a bone or, you know, we go into pictograms. But Gunner and Sarge will also have thoughts like that because, yeah, they also have impulses. So it's a bit of a comedy. It's got fun heroic action. I'm still never going to let readers forget that war is hell anyway. You know, I'm still treating it with some respect. But it is a comedy. It's a war comedy. That's great. I like that a lot. It's fun to have Pooch be the point of view character and hyping him up makes him feel, is there going to be a tie-in to... Rex the Wonder Dog? Is there some relationship between them? Yeah, I think they're related. Nice. But uh, that's way down the line. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and the pictogram thing, I mean, that even that was uh, how Impulse, his comic series, always had his characters using his thought balloons were always icons and stuff like that. Uh, from his video game sort of perspective. But I readers are familiar with it, so I like it. Next up is Gypsy. Like, this is really the H issue, you mm-hmm. know, as far as the characters. And H, for me, I'm sort of tipping my hat, H stands for heaven and hell, and that's going to play a big part in my line, okay? Mm-hmm. But Gypsy starts with a G, so she stands apart. In the war between heaven and hell, she's the ultimate neutral, which, of course, fits with her powers. Uh, so she's invisible, she's an observer, Elephant in the room, Gypsy is something of a racial slur, so I didn't want to call her that or call the book that. The character is Romani, but I don't think it plays that she would have like reclaimed the name. And so she's simply known as the Wanderer, and she's stumbling onto little corners of the war in a supernatural anthology kind of way. But she's an active character in that we still care about her struggle with being cursed to wander the earth. She wants to take sides, but there's always something stopping her or swinging the pendulum the other way. And for her, it eventually becomes about finding loopholes enabling her to make a difference. Basically, there's a metaphor for our world in there of feeling like there are greater forces at work and that trying to change things on an individual level is kind of pointless. But the series has hope, so it's going to show something different eventually. But I think that's a feeling that a lot of people have. And the series will tap into that. Nice. I like that idea. I, I really did like Gypsy back in the Justice League Detroit days. So I like this. It's kind of stepping up her game a little bit. So did you go a little more old school with Gypsy in your line? Yeah, for Gypsy, I kind of wanted her to just be more like herself, but growing up a little bit. I mean, she comes from the streets and she, um, her powers just let her kind of be a sneak and get around. So actually, I was kind of turning that on its head of having her grow up a little bit and work at a homeless shelter. Her actually having a mission to look out for other kids that grew up the same way she did. Hmm. But she'll have like a side gig where she's an informant for either like a police detective or a private detective. And with her powers she's a really good sneak for getting information but obviously with the sort of world that dcu is she's going to get in over her head lots of times and things are going to escalate out uh, larger but i kind of see that as what she could use her powers for in addition to having like this mission of her own really trying to watch out for the the disenfranchised but also because of her costume and fashion sense i had to come up with a villain for her that's also typically part of my pitches. So her recurring opponent is going to be the ultra fashionable and highly entitled Prada. <laughs> That's what I see right there. So you've got the devil in your series as well. Exactly. <laughs> I, I see her in that position. I, I like that. What about Halo? Okay, this is it. This is your character. Mm-hmm. 
So Halo. what did you do with her? Is she like the, the best hero of the entire universe? <laughs> oh, that's tempting. But I actually, what I really liked with Halo was that they didn't explore enough in the day was her being a high schooler. And, you know, and she's a truly out of place high schooler. So I kind of wanted to just set her in that world, have her be like in an Archie style high school, uh, get into mm. antics like that, have it be a lighter book, have it be a fun book. That's what she's really great for. It's a, it's a fun character, but she'll have friends and they'll all have names that are color adjacent, like Amber and Scarlet and Jasmine. And her friends always wear coordinated outfits. So there is always like reminding you that this is Halo. It's almost like a gem in the holograms or something like that but you'll still get into you know superhero adventures and so her arch foes have to be uh, crazy quilt rainbow raider and dr spectro and when they team up they call themselves the color conquerors <laughs> very good i would read that because that's really my style of of comic these days the mm -hmm. sort of lighthearted kind of thing it's almost like a sailor moon kind of vibe mm -hmm. yeah as yeah. well but of course she's an outsider and you know i'm a tyrant when it comes to your favorite team. I know you are, but I kind of hoped that you would be a little gentle since you asked me on your show, but I, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. You know, I'm fine. I'm cool. Well, you'll see. I, cause I did turn Geoforce into a team book you know, <laughs> uh, last time. Well, same here, but you may be heartened to hear Tim that this is really the character that launched my whole line. Like she was wow. the key to everything. The book is called The Halo, because The Halo is really my version of the Justice League in this. Oh. An angelic halo that surrounds and protects the Earth, and it's not just a metaphor. Instead of a normal base, there is an actual halo around the planet, and normal people can only sort of see it from the corner of their eyes. It's a metaphysical construct. We'll meet the builder later. Members of The Halo only need to think about going there, and they are propelled upwards where they can meet but also then drop themselves down anywhere else on Earth to take care of stuff. It's been put there because there's a prophecy that Earth 777 is going to be the last battleground for good and evil. Or not, not good and evil, but between like the creative spark and the destructive impulse, which is how I'm, I'm presenting good and evil, hero and villain, the divine and the hellish in this line of books. If Earth 777 falls, the multiverse falls. So... The Halo makes use of the many angelic characters in the issue of Who's Who that we have here. And the roster is full of characters who have their own books, and I'll reveal the membership as I go along. This series itself is where a lot of the epic stuff is going to happen. It's the event book where the prophecy is meant to happen. There is one character unique to the series, though, and that's Gabrielle Doe. I'm keeping her in there. If this were the JLA, she'd be the Green Lantern. She's an entity created by the Halo itself, based on the people it guards, born as a fully formed teenager, which isn't really far from what she was in Outsiders. Like, I haven't really changed her much from that standard model, but she's in touch with the Divine Spark, so she sometimes can speak prophecy, and she doesn't even know what she's talking about. She's the rookie of the team in every way, because she's also a rookie human. And that was true of the, like, the you know, the first couple of years of Outsiders as well, that this is how she yes. was played. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm just kind of folding that in to her portrayal in Halo. And Halo is my JLA, basically. Nice. I do like how that concept of the Halo itself kind of pulls into the origin of the character of the oracles that are basically, you know, balls of light. It's like almost could 
be an oracle or a manifestation of the oracles that forms said halo. So yeah, I, that's really cool. That's much grander of a scheme than I would have expected. So that's wonderful. And next up, well, we got like a, a trio of uh, female characters here, mm-hmm. a quartet really, before we're through. Harbinger is the next character, and she's the person who built the Halo, and she's the Superman of this team. Ah, gotcha. So, of course, she came to Earth-777 full-grown, not like Superman, but she's still a visitor from another world, and she's the one who uh, has come with news of the danger facing this one. She crashed into the ocean, she was rescued by a fisherman who gets injured by her craft security system. In her main series, Lila becomes a caretaker to this man, uh, which is the reason she has a civilian identity and, and like subplots. The craft has the magic tech to create the halo around Earth, but that's all done pre this moment. And it's now basically just a chamber in which she must regularly recharge her powers. So like in the original Vision, she's super uh, strong and can fire bolts of energy. She can split into duplicates of herself. But the more she does this, the more energy she expends. And that's her built-in limit. Uh, so the story would be bigger than life, epic. Her role is to keep Earth intact so that when the big crisis point comes, the one just she's been warned about, she and the rest of Halo have something to protect. But it's balanced more personal stories with the fishermen who will have facial hair that evoke the monitors and just like a little, little wink. <laughs> or is it more than a wink? I don't know. But I'd also like her to touch many lives, like perhaps have non-powered duplicates sent out to keep an eye on different corners of the world and and they have interactions. And uh, a little bit like the way they played the Martian Manager at some points where, you know, he had like many secret identities around Earth. Mm-hmm. Kind of that, but she is the Superman. Somebody else will play the Martian Manager role. That's a really interesting take on her. And it does, her name and concept fit well with that role, both as the creator, she knows of the coming danger, she's the warning of the coming danger, but she's also taking an active role about fighting against it. So that's really nice. I like that. And if you look at her, she's colored like Mm -hmm. Supergirl. So Mm -hmm. that sort of fits that idea as well. What what did you do with her? Uh, Yeah, with Harbinger, I kind of focused on the a little point that you touched on as well with her splitting into duplicates. So what I kind of made her was the Madrox of time and space, where now she can send her duplicates to all points in not just space, but time and without assistance. So she can just travel where she wants. And so she set out her various selves to learn and discover and, you know, do the things that were part of creating that history of the DC universe. But her duplicates didn't come back. So now she's on a search to find them. And she's got to go to all these places and she'll find them in places that are tied to her own past and her own family. So she learns about herself along the way. But some of her other selves don't cooperate. Some of them don't want to return or be absorbed back in and have perhaps even morphed their own powers. And there's an insidious villain throughout the whole thread as well who is perhaps co-opting some of these cells that she learns about. It has to fight the anti-harbinger. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a good use of crisis lore. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, a quest is always a great motivator for, you know, like the first year of a series, at least, you know, you can, you can have like that quest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that motivates characters quite well. Now, the dreaded Omega Men. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of guests have, have struggled with, and I've struggled mm. with incorporating individual Omega Men 
into like giving them their own series because they are such a like a group that is a, in its own world mm-hmm. so i'm uh curious to see what you did with harpis yeah harpis i completely threw any sort of logic out the window and just went for a wacky instinctive answer uh i do like how your t- your concept about earth 777 and you talk about heaven and hell is like okay i'm very curious where harpis with her angelic wings, but demonic form will fit. I'm just, I'm already just curious about what that's going to, if that's going to lead to something. But besides that, what I did with Harpus was I really went crazy and just said, uh, she's a fashion designer in the Vega system and she's pretty successful, but actually her job as a fashion designer is a cover to find people who are preying on others. These other people are disguised as models. Some of them are disguised as other designers. Some of them are buyers or even clients. And they lure victims with promises of whatever they want. In other words, she's fighting harpies. So, of (laughs) course, her outfits are designed with wings in mind. So they actually are... There'll be some interesting tells on that front. But I kind of just wanted to get her out of the whole Omega Men thing altogether and just like threw caution to the wind and said... Here's what she is. Did you watch The Devil Wears Prada at any point during this process? Because- <laughs> I, I did not, but somehow that just uh, managed to work its way into the, those two characters. I don't think you'll find this theme in my future entries. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> You're right. That's just where I'm going with Harpus is to fit her into that war between heaven and hell. She's a member of the Halo. Mm-hmm. She's the Martian Manhunter of the group. Ah. Harpus is one of the many winged characters in the line, and in her case... She's an alien. I didn't change that. Her people believed in the myth of the battleground between good and evil. And they thought that it was going to be their planet, Halo. Because oh. if you look, that's the name of it. That's the name. So her, her planet's called Halo. So probably they, con- they were confounded by the pun or something. <laughs> it's just a problem of translation. So they thought it was going to happen there. So they bioengineered their own angel. And that's Harpus. Uh, so she did tangle with the forces of evil on her own world. Except they won. They corrupted her body with a genetic virus and left her for useless. She tracked them down to Earth. And now in her own series, which I set around the Mediterranean, near a hellmouth, she's fighting demonic incursions while also suffering from body dysmorphia. Because that's not how she, you know, that's not how she's supposed to look. And the virus is still in her cells. It's turned her into a shapeshifter. So she really is more of a Martian Manhunter figure. But uh, whether she's passing as human or in Harpus form, she can have attacks that mutate her temporarily or even permanently. So Mm. Harpus is the bitter old veteran of this war, but she treats her human guys, her secret identity, as an escape, like a self-destructive girl Mm. hitting the beaches on the French Riviera. She's chasing down some thrill or other in the streets of Morocco. And in fact, I'm not calling the series Harpus, I'm calling it Fallen Angel. There was a couple of series by Peter David called Fallen Angel. So Yes, yeah. I know. So I got to pay him a buck or that, something. That's, nah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think there'll be anything to worry about that front because <laughs> DC published quite a few of those. That's really interesting. I, I do like how that fits into your this myth Earth 777 concept. I, I do think that's really pretty great. And the different forms for Harpus, I like that giving her a chance to explore something besides just the, the solely the trapped in this particular form viewpoint. The uh, name of the planet and the name Halo 
being similar does work as a concept because you can just crack it up to dialect. You can crack it up to just, you know, different languages saying it just closely enough that, you know, the different ears hear it differently. So no, that works. I yeah. like, I like that. I mean, it's, it's a total stroke of luck that, it, it, you know, that, that word is sort of weaving itself into different, like, obviously they want her to be an angel type character. So mm-hmm. the planet's called Alo. I mean, I, I get it, but uh, it just so happens that in this issue, we get a lot of that. So I, I kind of got a chance to weave it all in. Now I'm sort of going to leave that to the side for a second to talk about the haunted tank. And mm-hmm. uh, I felt like fooling around with the IP. Like I've seen various versions of it over the years. Like there was like a more recent, I don't know if it was Vertigo, but you know, like a more adult version recently. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to fool around with the IP. And I'm calling this one Jeb Stewart, The Haunted Tank. And it plays Mm. on the word tank, which is used in superhero comics and video games and RPGs to mean a tough character that could take a lot of damage. So Jeb Mm. is that kind of tank. Just your normal redneck until uh, he put his mobile home on a new trailer park built on a graveyard. Should have been a protected site, but... (laughs) Evil land developers didn't care. So he was chosen as the most good-hearted resident of the park. The disturbed spirits start haunting him and forcing him to do something about it. So they give him supernatural strength and invulnerability to do so, becomes a tank. And uh, that'll take us through the first story arc. After that, he gets a job as a trucker. He travels North America, in part to get away from the ghosts. But the floodgates have been opened, and everywhere he goes, new and old spirits pop up with jobs and evil spirits tend to cause mayhem and possess people in his vicinity. This is like a dark and irreverent comedy series, somewhere between Garth Ennis and Gail Simone in style, with lots of ghoulish mm. humor. Very nice. Uh, for a second there, I was, I was thinking you were just about to say that Tank was an acronym for something. It sounded just close to that, but that, which would have been also kind of funny. But no. Uh, so what did you do with uh, Is it still a World War II book? Yeah, it's still a World War II book. The, one of the challenges there is that, for the one hand, I want to keep the original concept. On the other hand, I know that it's problematic in today's world. But we still had like a fun revision of it show up in, uh, what was it, Power Company? I think they did that there, where they had like a modern tank, and uh, Lieutenant Jeb Stewart actually became the ghost. So that was kind of, that was an interesting take. But okay. But what I did with it was I went to completely kid-friendly with it and made it have like a classic Hanna-Barbera adventure cartoon series tone. The tank and the crew of it are still fighting in World War II, but nobody ever really dies. And they're, you know, facing lame Nazi villains and going on adventures that way. And here comes uh, the ghost of Jeb Stewart to the rescue anytime they get into bigger trouble than they need to they call out for general and off he boom he pops up and just you know saves the day <laughs> i mean it's a good idea to like i don't know make it sillier in a way because i i love the old strips mm-hmm. but yes the whole civil war general thing that's what they did with the vertigo version or the more adult version i, I think it was like in iraq or something oh okay the descendant the jeb stewart you know the the descendant of the general was a black man. Ah. So, and then the the ghost was still very racist. So that's how they kind of played with it, just played with expectations. Mm. I, mm-hmm. I just, yeah. So I went another way, but it still, I think, respects the mood of it. Yes. Okay, so the next one is Hawk, Son of Tomahawk. This was my hardest, or the last one I unlocked. Mm. What about you? Uh, did you have a better time with it? I was able to get into a, a concept right away, so I just ran with it. So I look at the image of him that's in the Who's Who. I don't know about you, but I completely see Disco Western. Sure. So 
I went for, let's say, alternative history world where disco was invented during the Western era. And uh, Hawk is actually going around to dance contests from town to town. Uh, he has to fight the standard Western foes that you would have seen in the Lone Ranger or the Cisco Kid, like evil businessmen trying to take over the dance halls. He has to fight the occasional prudish evangelical who's trying to stop this hellish dancing from corrupting our children. But he's basically going around and, you know, fighting the good fight and also dancing the good dance. That and, <laughs> and he'll have an occasional, I think, still, for some reason, I had to have Jonah Hex show up in this thing more or less as a frenemy. Because there's no way <laughs> Jonah can get along with a gentleman dressed like this. No, Jonah would also always, any dance, Jonah would be on the outside, mm-hmm. kind of looking in and not wanting to dance. He's the, he's the one that doesn't want to dance. Is like acting like that's the cool thing to do. Right, uh, right. <laughs> I mean, Jonah Hex in this. I, I really like, I also was inspired by the picture. I, I didn't really realize it at the time, but you know how, the, like the pouch? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's very alien to me. It, mm, like the, yeah. like um, the Valerian strip, like for French speak, I know there was like a failed movie, but the, the mm-hmm. sort of art there was kind of like this for alien tech sometimes. So I didn't want to do a Western I thought of a different frontier, which is space. And this ah, is a series okay. unconnected to my larger concept. I'm not even sure it's reality 777, in which Tomahawk uh, was the first man to set foot on another planet. He and his rangers are dead now, but he did have a child with a native woman. And that child is all that remains of the human presence on planet Echo. Then the next batch of humans arrive and they're real a-holes, classic colonists. <laughs> yep. You know, they don't care what they steal or what they destroy. Son of Tomahawk, because he has not yet earned his true name as per the planet's customs, is mm. torn between his curiosity about his human heritage and his mostly Ecosian upbringing. So you might think, oh, it's just like the Old West in space, but really I would want that native culture to be very alien, detailed and well thought out, real science fiction-y, and not an obvious stand-in for First Nations, although obviously it's a story of colonization, so we understand that it's that as well. That really does work well. I mean, First Nations stuff is a a big topic nowadays, I know that. Especially in Canada, it's even more. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I think there's a couple, one or two things I have coming up that also kind of tie into current day concerns. So yeah, that really is a good way to kind of tap into some feelings there and explore them. I like that. Speaking of political books, uh, this one's not political for me, not really, but it did start out as a political book, Hawk and Dove, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. So in my series, Don Granger, you know, the female dove mm-hmm. that, that we know now better than the original, Don Granger is both Hawk and Dove. It depends on her mood. Uh-huh. So normally she's Dove. And officially, it's Dove, who is a member of Halo. She's in the Flash's spot. Uh, she's the creative spark, an artist in real life, more balletic dancer than fighter. She's using her opponent's strength against them, all of that stuff. What maybe the rest of Halo don't know, and that's explored in her own series, is that the universe has a twisted sense of humor. So when the creative spark picked a champion, picked her as champion, hmm. the destructive impulse picked her as well. So it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or Rose and the Thorn, maybe. Hmm. And though Hawk is not a villain, she is a violent vigilante who uses brute force and easy solutions and leaves destruction in her wake all across the city of Gemini, Michigan, which is, will be the fictional city for this. At first, Don doesn't even know it's her, that, that Hawk is her. She doesn't even know Hawk also has a civilian identity who looks just like her. 
So she's living two lives and doesn't realize it. After she learns the truth, she'll try to hide it, to fix what her other self is doing, to manipulate events, but ultimately she may have to make friends with Hawk and trust her as a partner, even though obviously they share the same body. So this one goes deep into superhero methodology and has a psychological undercurrent of the original mm. without strapping Dove down to an impossible standard like the pacifist attitude that just made that, that comic unworkable, really. It still kind of plays with that idea except in the same person. Gotcha. There's no denying that I loved Dawn Granger as the Dove. That's my Hawk and Dove, without a doubt. I haven't really had it gotten myself down to reading the original anywhere, but you know that series, which introduced her, that's just my big love for the characters right away. So anything that kind of gives you more Dawn Granger, I'm very much in favor of. Absolutely. Well, you're also going big time into Moon Knight territory with all these personalities in one superhero. Mm, yeah, there's a bit of that. So Dawn Granger is in your series. It's, she has to be. Oh, yeah. I absolutely had to. Okay. And uh, Hawk and Dove are such a pairing. It's like, no, there's no way I was going to split them up. I have Dawn Granger and I have Hank Hall, just as, as they were before. And what I want them to do was to kind of do what they did originally. And that's exemplify life today and the divide that we have today that they exemplify. So both of them kind of have lots of interactions and the narration kind of happens through Chirper, which is their social media site. Uh, <laughs> so Dove is very much an SJW fighting for the causes and Hulk is ultra conservative. But the real challenge that both of them actually find is that they are forced to try to find common ground. And I feel like that's an important story element that they need, that we would want to have engaged. It's not about one being right and the other one being wrong, but instead, where do we meet? Mm -hmm. Where do we bridge these gaps? And that's what their whole, and that's what their mission really is for. It's not to try to pull people in one direction, but to say, where's the bigger answer? And of course, with all their computer interactions that they'll be doing as well, uh, we need to have the return of bug and bite. So that's important. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I agree that they should return at some point and somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, so why not your line? So I, I get it. That's an important story to tell, especially in the Western world right now, or especially mm -hmm. in the United States. Yes. So we dodged a bullet. There was no Monarch series. So no, okay. definitely not. <laughs> nope, nobody went there. No. We didn't go there. Mm -mm. Okay, so now here's the big hurdle. There are four Hawk characters that we have to get through, and they each have to have their own series. So what did you do with Hawk Girl? Yes, this was this was a challenge. Now, I won't deny it, especially with, since the characters are so joined at the hip and similar. It's very hard to find series with them differently. But uh, sorry with Hawk Girl. I very much kind of felt like keeping her in the golden age was a good way to go. And seeing like the artwork in, uh, by Steve Rude here, I got a very big vibe for say the Thin Man movies. But what I was going to do was reverse it so that now Shiera is the protagonist. Carter is in the story, but isn't Hawkman. So he's actually like the one who gets into trouble and doesn't really know what's going on. But Shiera is the one who's on top of things and she saved the day either as herself or as Hawkgirl. I really kind of see this also as her being drawn by Chris Samney. I just have to throw that out there. But it's like so, so some mystery. Carter is the, the Myrna Loy. Yes. In, okay. Yes. <laughs> Carter is Myrna Loy. This is this was just completely by coincidence. My brain went to that a recurring villain would be the Golden Age Huntress. That just seems like the right matchup for for Hawkgirl here. And she's in this issue, so yep. perfect. Yeah, it's important to maybe change where they are in time, so that gives us a reason to have you mm -hmm. know multiple ones. 
For me, Hawk Girl is my uh, my Halo. It's a fun all ages comic about a thirteen year old mm. who finds a, a pair of nth metal wings discarded by Hawkman. Stay tuned, and uh, she learns to use them. So she fights low level crime. She has fun. She's at that age where she's noticing boys or not, maybe not boys. Up to mm. the writer worries about her grades, about being liked by her classmates at Midway Junior High, uh, about her parents finding out that she's doing this. Hawkman will eventually guest star to give her his seal of approval. I hmm. was looking at the um, the Young Princess Diana backup in Wonder Woman last month, and the art by Paulina Ganucho seemed a perfect fit. So it's oh, like big okay. anime eyes, mm-hmm. colorful action, sweet expressions. It's that kind of book. Not quite Squirrel Girl or Lumberjanes, but not mm-hmm. too far from that kind of charming, fun adventure series starring a, a young girl You know, at the start of her teenage years. So, so Hot Girl is going to be like my fun one. But it's still part of the mainstream universe. Gotcha. See, you worked much harder at it than I did because I was actually I, – I did not worry about there being a continuity between my line at all. In fact, I kind of went the opposite. I deliberately was moving towards there being separate uh, lines or worlds involved here. But that's – I love that you're that you're pulling that together. I think that's a fun idea. Make her really a girl. But the girl part really referred to her age. That's great. Right. Because it's kind of sexist for, you know, in the golden age, obviously, that a full-grown woman is called Hawk Girl. So in this right. case mm-hmm. – She is a girl. She will become Hawkwoman later, I suppose. But before you congratulate me too much on, uh, you know, uh, on on working hard. Oh, okay. (laughs) The the first Hawkman series that we have to go, I I really didn't work very hard because I really like what Robert Venditti has done with the character. Playing Mm. with archaeology and reincarnation in tandem where Carter Hall is searching through his own history or histories. He really redeemed the character for me. So... No change. That's the series with a main Carter Hall and the ability to tell stories about the other lives that he's led and trying to karmically write a great sin committed when the universe was new. Uh, He's in Halo, giving him like the Aquaman slot, the guy you can talk to animals. He's uh, a historian. Mm. He's thoughtful, able to reach into other lives for skills and knowledge. And in no way is he the abrasive fascist he played in the satellite JLA era, just to be clear. But yeah, if you've been reading Hawkman these last couple of years, exactly that. And if you haven't, check it out. That's not what I've been reading. But, you know, I also not reading that many new comics. I'm doing having too much fun exploring new to me comics. You know, there's various versions of Hawkman that I really appreciated. So good to see him still fitting into the Halo. Which Hawkman did you pick? Because I, mm-hmm. obviously I mean, we, we get to pick two. So it's not Yeah, that's right. Exactly. My pitch is horror meets archaeology. So he's world traveler and he's actually running across unintentionally the dark side of the DCU. So it's not like an old anthology series, really, but he could be facing the kind of characters you would have encountered back then. Um, just be you know, archaeology lends itself well to finding the unearthing the dark things, the scary things, the monstrous things. So I just kind of want to open that up. And it's like, you know, and, you know, he has wings so he can fly away from trouble. But no, he doesn't fly away from trouble. He flies into trouble, of course, because he's Hawkman. And I can kind of see that maybe, you know, even Kane from the House of Mystery might pop up now and again to enjoy the misadventures that Hawkman gets himself into. That's fun. If you've ever read the, like, Golden Age stories of Hawkman, there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of going out into tombs and doing the mummy stuff sure. in those strips, yeah. And I have not really read those, but that's that's not too surprising that that's what that would have worked for. I was 
unintentionally lazy or wasn't lazy enough. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're worth looking at because uh, Sheldon Moldoff's art is more illustrative than most. So it's not like some of the, those primitive Golden Age comics that actually look quite good. Mm. It, it, could, it could have been in a quality comic. Yeah. So who's your second pick? Okay. <laughs> second Hawkman. Honestly, it's also for both of these Hawkmen. I didn't pick my favorite, which was post-crisis is the wrong word for it. The post-Hawk World Hawkman. That Katar Hall. Okay. He's my uh, that that Hawk World series. I loved it to death. So that was my that was my favorite. But I actually didn't pick him for this. I came up with a, a new love for the Shadow War of Hawkman version because I read that series just last year for the first time, and that was just delightful. So what I went for here was Kadar Modern Day, and he's using the Absorbiscon, but he's using it to preemptively fight crime and injustice because so, he can read like the minds of everybody on the planet. So he's using it to right wrongs, but things before they either go too far. So, you know, they'll be actually like opening the can of worms on discussions of free will and it gets very minority report. It just becomes this interesting, like preemptive. And, you know, will he run into conflicts with other heroes, with the government, with organized crime? Possibilities are really really broad just making him like an outsider but his justification of doing the right thing is like and will he find himself where where will this lead him where will this take him will he find himself losing his own sense of right and wrong or what else will come about uh and you know perhaps even like uncle sam could show up as an opponent or somebody who seems to be uncle sam I don't know. The American screen. <laughs> I had Hawkworld on the on the brain as well because it's going to be across my next two series. Mm. Because I couldn't use my favorite either. My favorite would have been like one of my favorites, I guess, would have been the like sexy couple Hawkman Hawkwoman from the Silver Age, like the mm. Joe Hubert ones. Ah, yeah. But I never quite used that. So uh, this one's called Hawkworld. It takes place in the same time frame as the gritty Tim Truman miniseries, film noir, cop drama on Thanagar. With the one good cop, Kadar Hall, struggling to do the right thing in a fascist police state. And despite the science fiction trappings, this is a detective book that evokes the kind of Cold War era feel of movies like Gorky Park or books like China Mieville's The City and the City. So I, I really want this to, to feel like we're, it's Thanagar, but it could be Berlin. It could be, mm. you know, like, and I like the idea of having people like Bith and Hyathis and uh, other Hawkman-related figures transplanted almost Elseworlds-like into noir and pulp tropes, which was what that original miniseries did. I just want to live in that world for longer across a whole series. That's probably fun stuff. That version of Hawkman and, and Hawkwoman were really great, so I could, I could see that. And I'm totally going there with Hawkwoman as well. This is a later Thanagar era. Uh, Shaira Thal is sent to Earth to be a cop. Her masters probably know about the impending war between heaven and hell. She's not been made aware of it. Uh, this is a story about a cop exchange program, just like that that series, that monthly series yeah. of Hawkworld. It's Red Heat, if we still think of Hawkworld as the Eastern Bloc. Uh, Red Heat meets Policewoman. Shaira, more or less, is uh, portrayed as in the Justice League cartoon, contrasting uh, alien police procedure with our own as a way to discuss due process and where the line should be by her being more extreme than American police, the series will highlight where American police has done wrong as well. So it's a touch of Life on Mars as well. Hmm. People know that series. And as part of the exchange, she'll be training a human Hawkman core. But 
there'll be moments where she's just sitting around in a patrol car on a stakeout or getting chewed out by her police captain. I want this to be a love letter to 70s and 80s cop shows and movies, but have a healthy reality check that talks about police procedure as it really is and ideally should be. My Hawkwoman series sounds very similar to that, just a little slightly different era. That version of Shiera from Hawkworld, my favorite Shiera. It just hands down. That, that was a fantastic take on the character. I, I loved it a lot. So anything that has her in it, I'm on board with. My version of this has her partner with Lady Cop. And okay. they go on Cagney and Lacey style adventures. So, but it's going to be the Shiera from Hawkworld. So she's definitely the harder core one. And Lady Cop is going to be you know, raiding her in. And also they find their own, they're going to be trying to work through things that have different points of view just because, you know, Shiera just brings that alien perspective on things. She's going to be always kind of like forgetting that due process is a thing. So I, I really want to have, have her partnered with someone, uh, have, have, a, have a human, but also not a man. I want to have her have a partner who's another woman, stand on equal footing in that regard. And a frequent adversary? You know, why isn't Cheetah in more books? Cheetah really would be a good uh, opponent for Hawkwoman. So. Sure, a cat and a bird. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, and you had me at Lady Cop, obviously. This network is a big lover of Lady Cop. Oh, yes. Tangentially from that, an episode of The Four Who Rule from Right On Network actually covered Lady Cop. I don't know if, if you listeners out there haven't seen it. That was a riot. I saw that. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that crossover yeah. event? You read my mind. You read my mind. Okay. Good job. Uh, <laughs> with with all these different things happening, all these different characters from all these different places, I had a crossover called Hawk Worlds, plural. And we have all the Hawk people, including the ones from the Golden Age and the ones I describe and the Silver Age, the Reboot Hawks, the Hawks and Doves, and they're all find themselves pulled together. The Hawk God is trying to start a all-out war between the Lords of Order and the Lords of Chaos, and he's using it to try to turn Thanagar, use that conflict to boost up Thanagar into being a superpower planet and bolster it from other Thanagars from without throughout the multiverse. But all of these hawks are actually fighting it to keep their individuality and keep themselves separate. And so that they will not be combined into a single hawk, you know, void when all their time runs out. And hour zero, perhaps. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so let's skip a few pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, they're finally some villains. So we skip over them and yes. we get to Hercules. 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 What did you do with him? Since I'm actually more familiar with the Marvel one, I hope I don't. it doesn't feel like I've borrowed from that concept too much. But I have Hercules and I view him like in the present day or something like the present day. And he's in Hollywood starring as himself in a movie that's set in a future world that looks like the world from Hercules Unbound. But he keeps being tormented by dreams of this apocalyptic future and eventually turns to daydreams and he's vowing and finding his own mission to try to stop the great disaster from coming. That turns into his mission. We can see parallels of the things he needs to do being modern day labors to fight the inevitable disaster that's on the way. What pieces, what dominoes fall into place that make it happen and how does he get in there to stop it? That's what I was kind of working with him. We're kind of close on this oh. in, in some ways. Well, thematically, at least. I call mine Hercules Unbound. I'm not changing that. And if this book takes place in the future, like the old Unbound did, mm -hmm. then won't we know if the war between heaven and hell was won or lost? Oh. So this is a split book. 
Half mm. of every issue is Hercules's colorful adventures in the near future golden age. It's Hercules having fun on Star Trek Earth, basically. And the other half is if hell won, and it's Hercules as Mad Max, post-Great Disaster. Both sides are drawn by Walt Simonson, just like this entry, so he can make it as big and extreme as he wants, whether that's the super slick future or destruction on a scale unfathomable with mm. Earth-777, a hellish wreck with a crumbling multiverse visible in interdimensionally torn skies. So the two stories, each issue, will always have commonalities, either literal or somatic, but they spell out the stakes for the rest of the lines. Like, this is what we're fighting for. That is a fascinating idea for tying this together. And as a reader, would drive me up the wall. <laughs> <laughs> It just would, because it's like, what? Wait, no, it's like, but hey, he's, which one is it? Stop, stop trying to make it seem like it's both. No, it's, but it would drive me up a wall in a good way. Schrodinger's <laughs> continuity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and I mean, it's Walt Simonson, so. Yeah. Oh, well, that's like, t hurry up and take my money. Money in the bank. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so next up is the Heroes of Laller. If Hercules Unbound is our future look at Earth-777, then I can't have the Legion's future in there. So I've boiled the Heroes of Lalor down to just one character, Evolvo Lad. So I call this one Evolvo Through the Ages, and mm -hmm. it's another split book. I mean, it's not just split into two or even necessarily always split the same. Uh, Evolvo is a cave boy called Sev, born with all of humanity's genetic heritage, past and future, in his cells. He can evolve or devolve himself at will, even to such forms as fish or early mammals, which he couldn't do in the comics, but I'm adding this. But it's really dangerous to do that because these other forms may not have the intelligence to immediately change back, or on the other end of the spectrum, the mutant with the giant brain may not want to lose all of those IQ points, you know? So thankfully, when he's exhausted, he falls asleep, and when he wakes up, he's in the form appropriate to the era. So the way the series is told is through multiple eras, sometimes telling all different stories, sometimes a more consistent one uh, that's like a big plan coming to fruition over the centuries. But basically, Evolvo is immortal, and he's had adventures in the Stone Age all the way through the present. We could also do an Unbound story set in Hercules' two timelines at some point. I think that'd be fun. But it stops today. To me, this is a fun comedy series that takes full advantage of DC history. And the closest I can think of mm. is kind of the recent Jimmy Olsen 12-issue maxi by Fraction and Lieber, which I've touted before, and which also told multiple stories per issue, like almost like one-page strips. But it would be across all of DC history in this case. There's lots of possibilities in there. I do wonder if without throughout the ages if we'll see characters like the immortal man or vandal savage or any of the others pop up as well plenty so and for people who are fans of the other heroes of Lalor, uh why but also <laughs> <laughs> but also you will see them later in my line in some other form so ah, okay. hold on hold on did you keep the guys together i did keep them together i definitely went a completely different direction on it in that they find that they're more or less their history is intact. They're more or less the characters that we know from here. But through shenanigans, they found themselves stranded on Earth in the 1950s. There's not really any other heroes for them to work with to help them. So 
there's a lot of xenophobia in the 50s and there are going to be stories of them being fish out of water trying to find their way home and having to be really careful about using their powers because think of like Martian Manhunter when he was trying to keep his powers under wraps but still having adventures uh, he just can't be as open about it or flamboyant so they've really got to be careful and this is like the hardest one for like Duplicate Boy who finds that there's no good powers for him to duplicate in this era so he can do things like maybe use more subtle things like duplicating the empathy that some people might have for other people. You know, somebody who's a really sympathetic person, he can use that to help with manipulating or cajoling people to assist them. Or like lockpicking. He got gets lockpicking, but that's like uh ordinary skills that he doesn't really have, but that's what he's stuck with. That's all he can try to do. They're going to find themselves as kind of like being X-Men. They're trying to do good, but the public distrusts them. So they just have to kind of keep themselves under wraps as much as possible. I see them as children of the atom. They kind of look like that. What about High Father? Now here's a new god divorced from his series, and that's always kind of tough with these kinds of groupings. High Father was a tough one. One of the last ones I cracked as well. Yeah. I went for making him actually younger. Just start with a younger version of High Father. So I'm going to make him with his look and everything. He's basically a space hippie before he becomes the leader of New Genesis. So he's tooling around the galaxy on his super cycle. So it's going to be like Easy Rider. And he definitely has to have a younger, funky Flash man as his sidekick. I'm not positive what the name I would give of the series Easy High Rider? I don't know. That's possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're very close on this. I also made him younger. Mm. My series is called Young High Father, which is patently ridiculous. <laughs> it's the adventures of High Father when he was a boy. He wasn't a father yet. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, that's name recognition. And it sends a signal that this is going to be a fun series that doesn't take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. And so we go back to the days when Isaiah, just like you, Isaiah is a young man. But for me, it means that Dark Side was two. So like it's mm. teen Dark Side. It's all Kirby-esque adventures with the new gods when they were newer. Isaiah is going to be a kind of Prince Hal to his father, uh, Zonuz. Had to research that. He's rebellious. He's kind of friends with Darkseid, who's like the bad influence. And uh, we also get uh, the stern uncle Steppenwolf. We get a younger mother goodness. Uh, Metron's <laughs> just about the same. But So what we uh, don't realize, what it seems like goofy fun, but what we're actually watching is the start of the war between heaven and hell that's brewing. Uh... Where in this reality, Apocalypse and New Genesis are initially in the same universe, but are going to split off into 666 and 777. You just can't trust mm. even a hot, rugged, teen dark side. So. <laughs> Interesting. Well, and with these younger characters, does that mean we have a sister box? Instead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can do stuff like I, I think that would be the tone. Yes. Yeah. The tone seems to be like a send up of the new gods in a way like hot teen dark side is, is ridiculous. But that's where we're going to have. It's totally goth dark side. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, that's, that's exactly it. And we got all these older, you know, Tigra and mm-hmm. these older characters. You know, many of them aren't as important in the series as it was told because it was like the sons of dark side mm-hmm. and high father. Uh, and I went th- kind of the same way with Hippolyta hmm. because, again, this is a, a, like a. This is a parent of a hero. So in Earth 777, Halo has a Wonder Woman and it's young Hippolyta. Ah, nice. Like John Byrne did this. You know, John Byrne kind of pulled that trick with uh, in World War II. Right. Uh, and then uh, for, I look at Infinite Frontier 
ads, and it looks like DC is going to do their, the same thing for their Justice League roster. I came up with it somewhere between the two. <laughs> I hadn't seen those ads when I thought this up. <laughs> so in this version of events, Diana is just a little girl, and when the Amazons are called to once more interact with man's world, it's Hippolyta, their queen, who takes a hands-on approach. The series is kind of a high-powered single mom trying to juggle work and family and fighting monsters from myth and ruthless nations who are trying to get a foothold on Paradise Island now that it's been exposed. The superhero version of The Crown, maybe? And uh, before you ask, yes, of course there'll be Wonder Tot references. <laughs> Actually, not just references. <laughs> Young Diana has like waking dreams, uh, which might be entire backup strips about being a four-year-old superheroine herself. Uh, so mm, I'm nice. totally doing it. It's a Wonder Tot comic. But Hippolyta will be, of course, will star heavily in the Halo series because she's she's the actual Wonder Woman at this point. Having Wonder Tot is an absolute trip. But also, it, when you get your concepts there about the series, yeah, we're right on the same wavelength there. I totally went for The Crown. But this is the secret history of leading the Amazons, where we find out that Hippolyta isn't quite as isolated as the rest of the Amazons think, in that she hmm. actually branches out and uses God technology for transportation and teleportation, and she has to deal with the rest of the world to keep them away. So we're going to see her dealing with other governments and heading things off and even going throughout the ages. So she's going to meet historical figures like Sigmund Freud or Mark Twain, you know. So I kind of want to branch it out. It's like, no, she's not just this insular character. It's like she's got a secret life. Great Hippolyta series. I love like the real politic, like doing mm. stuff a bit like that, where there's a where, some like court intrigue and that kind of stuff. We love it on TV, so why not in a comic? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, here's a toughie, possibly, because uh, even though he was one of DC's first live-action film stars, Hop Harrigan is kind of forgotten these days. So mm -hmm. <laughs> what did you do with this aviator ace? Well, first off, one of the funny things related to this character is that I've been checking out... Fred Hembeck's eBay site, I've been hooked on it very badly for the last month. I have a serious, serious problem with it. He does all these little postcard, two-by-three cards of a single figure. So I've gotten a bunch of them. And for anybody out there who I've uh, bought the card from and you, you really wanted it and you were bidding on it yourself, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I was stunned to find that he had done Hop Harrigan last week as a character for sale. That was just a trip. You know, Fred Hebeck knows who he is. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe Fred's going through who's who. I don't know. <laughs> I think Fred Hembeck knows most Marvel and DC yeah. characters just because he's Fred Hembeck. Exactly. Um, so my concept was basically Space Cabby. Except he's air cabbie. So he's helping, he's flying people around the country, but he's always causing trouble for his fares, especially the ones that are up to no good. He's kind of an annoyance to the to the good guys, but he does help them out when they are in need. When he stifles the, the bad guys at his fares, he still does it in a way that gives him plausible deniability. It's a lighthearted adventure and, and a tongue-in-cheek kind of character along the way. And definitely going to bust open some of the multiverse here that some of his recurring foes should be dastardly and muddly. <laughs> DC, make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, the, the, the original strip is actually quite good. It's, it's a pretty good golden age strip. So he looks like an old timey aviator, but there is a multiversal thing to be as well because he's called Hop because his one man plane can hop 
to other worlds. Ooh. That could be other planets, other times, other Earths, places like Gemworld or Skartaris. Me too. It's fun, crazy adventures in the skies over wherever and everywhere. Uh, think cool, clean artwork. I'm thinking Doc Shaner because I always think Doc Shaner. And uh, a real a real sense that anything could happen. You know, not, not the gross, dark, and gritty. We don't want that. But anything could happen in a fun way. He might one day hop into my war between heaven and hell, but he's not really part of that big picture. He's an unfettered as far as where he can go with this. That's always fun. With a lighthearted character, it's like, yeah, just let him have pop him into things. Almost a team-up book. Okay, so Our Man. We got two of them, which I thought was a challenge. So the only way I could contrive to produce two Our Man series was to make one about Rex Tyler and the other about a character called Our Man. So I kind of split mm. those mm-hmm. ideas up. Uh, the Rex Tyler one I call 11th Hour, and it's about a team of experts led by Rex They are called, when everything else has failed, at the 11th hour. A kind of neo-noir series in the style of, uh, I don't know, I want to say 100 Bullets, though it's still in a superhero universe, so the threats can be more fanciful. So you might think maybe more Night Force, uh, Mm. or the original Secret Six, or even Doc Savage and his crew, or, frankly, Mission Impossible. That would all work. Rex is the super chemist struggling with addiction, and the rest of the team have been poached from unused characters in this issue of Who's Who, uh, Mm. albeit in civilian garb. So there's someone not unlike Duplicate Boy who can mimic other people and is a perfect disguise artist. There's someone like Gas Girl who uses gases the same way that Rex uses pills. Ah. Uh, Someone like Lifelass, who's the gadgeteer. There's a firebug, not unlike Heatwave. Uh, Strategic mastermind, uh, that would be Hector Hammond. And Tao Jones from Helix is uh, the Black Widow of the group. So Rex can bring in specialists for special missions, uh, we need someone who can, uh, you know, control hamsters. Let's get Beast Boy, you know. Mm-hmm. Beast Boy of the Heroes of Lalor, obviously. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah. So he brings in specialists for special missions, but it's very possible that operatives would also get killed. They're all portrayed in a noirish style, so they all have demons, moral flaws, or secrets uh, that tend to rear their ugly heads at the worst possible time. So there's sort of a bit of a Suicide Squad kind of vibe to this. But that's my... Rex Tyler, not Our Man, but my Rex Tyler series. I don't know how you <laughs> how you navigated this particular impasse in terms of, of characters that are kind of the same. Well, my, my hat's off to you for going outside the box. I like that. That's really great stuff. But what I did was I really just kind of kept the two characters as is. So the first one is Rex Tyler, but I set him more as Silver Age turning him into a Silver Age Hour Man, which means he has an Hour Cave, an Hour Mobile, an Hour Copter, <laughs> TikTok the Hour Dog, and his foes are going to be Kronos and the Clock King. Uh, he probably has a cadre of kid sidekicks called the Minutemen. So I'm just going full on into Batman the Brave and Bold animated series, Silver Age wonkiness, and having fun with it. Love it. <laughs> Well, and then for there, we'll just go straight to the second Hour Man, which is Rick Tyler. What I've done there was what's happened with him is that the formula has worked differently in him in a, a surprising fashion. And now when he takes the formula, what happens is his consciousness goes back an hour. So now oh. he has an hour with his powers to fix things that have gone wrong. It 
it's a chance to correct what he's seen. Really kind of just, I, I know this is a concept that's been used in other places. I don't know. I can't think of them offhand, but that's basically what I wanted to see him do. So he's got an hour to fix something. I really like that. And so I've mentioned Vandal Savage before. He seems like the kind of a thinking opponent who would be really frustrated by a character who can go back and know what he's going to be trying to do in advance and trying to foil him. So I kind of like that perspective. I also did some sort of powers kind of like that for mine. So the actual Hour Man series stars a completely new superhero who only exists one hour a day. So that's my shtick. Ah. So he's like the Infinity Man of the Forever People. He's not the focus of the comic subplots because he's only there to solve clues and fight bad guys and save lives. And then he vanishes. Mm. So it's about this neighborhood filled with engaging characters whose lives have been touched by our man and might be intrigued by his origins, try to find out what he is, who he is. My inspiration is that my mom went to Mexico on vacation when I was a teen and Mm. she brought back... Uh, a few Mexican comics. That's all I asked for. <laughs> and one of these was an issue of Blue Demon, ostensibly about this luchador superhero. But he showed up in a single panel, and the rest of the book looked like a telenovela that I couldn't read. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's, it was just about these people that lived in the neighborhood where Blue Demon also lived, but he wasn't really in it. That's kind of what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. So to tell you our man's secrets, he was a scientist playing around with time, and he... Uh, Stepped into the particle accelerator and vanished. It gave him temporal powers, like Prince of Persia stuff where he can like wind back time. But it also cut his anchor to the present day. So he's lost. Uh, Over the course of the series, once we find all of this out, we can start fixing his condition or really changing his temporal curse. The one that he's under, like, like he's suddenly... Now he's living life backwards, or he's aging and or regressing, or he's going through some kind of hypertime shenanigans. But if we've done our work well, we should never have to leave uh, the large supporting cast that has been built in let's call this neighborhood TikTok Town uh, or wherever. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really about them. It's a bit like Astro City in a way. You know, it's like the impact that the superhero has on real people. I can see a lot of potential in that one. That's fun. Human Bomb is next. For me, this is the tragic story of Roy Lincoln. He was trying to peer into another dimension and was imbued with the destructive energy of Earth 666. So it's even possible he created the first crack between the two worlds. So the oncoming war is really all his fault or it's precipitated. So this is the Lions Incredible Hulk series. He's a man riddled with guilt more and more as he realizes what's happened. Uh, he's trying to do good, but ends up destroying the places and lives that he touches. He's on the run from the authorities. He's trying to keep his gloves on, but like Bill Bixby, he has a tendency to get pushed into a wall at the wrong moment, and in this case, exploding. Sad music, cycle starts all over again. One day, he might find a cure, but he needs denizens of Earth-666 to study, and that's not going to be easy either, or even ethically obvious. So The Human Bomb is a series that goes really dark. The angst is real heavy. Like, I'm cranking this one up to 11. This is the sad Marvel hero. Oh, no. (laughs) In this line, yeah. Cue the sad walking away song. Oh, my gosh. All right. That's really, that's that's cool. I'll go the opposite extreme with mine is that mine's actually going to have some more of a comedy angle to it. The Golden Age stories were like that. They were kind of goofy, yeah. So... 
my human bomb does not actually have powers, but he works on a police bomb squad. He's really, really good at his job. He goes, he can defuse anything. And he also gets on other adventures and, you know, you know, sniping gangsters and uh, solving crimes. And he's really good at his job. Unfortunately, every story ends with him unintentionally blowing up a building or a bridge or something along the way. So he that's where he gets his nickname. It's that it's and it's always the it's not my fault moment at the end of every single story. If you remember or saw the anime called The Dirty Pair, aka The Lovely sure. Angels, that kind of ending was my inspiration for this sort of thing. So his name, the human bomb, is the nickname that he just hates, but he can't get rid of. What if the hurt locker was a laugh a minute? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, here's a headliner, Human Target. The Human Target. He's had series of his own, so and TV series. What would you do with him? Man, and this is a character that I need to spend more time researching. And, and I'd never watched the TV show, but boy, I love the concept of this so much. It's like, I, I don't know where my brain has been that I haven't followed through on this. But I really love this concept. So I was going to kind of keep it more or less as is. Going for noir stories that added that flair to it. But one of the things that'll be a continuing storyline that he has here is that while he's saving other people, there's a contract on him and he doesn't know who has signed it. He doesn't know where it came from because nobody should know who he is. But somehow there's a contract out on him. So he's constantly also having to foil assassins while trying to save his clients. One character that has to show up eventually is Deadshot. Absolutely. So that's kind of where I want to go with him. Sure. Yeah. There is a series that I will recommend if you're looking for more Christopher Chance mm-hmm. or Human Target. And that's the Vertigo series by Peter Milligan. There's like the mini series. And then there's a series that is brilliant stuff. Nice. I'm, I'm nothing against like the original, you know, Dick Giordano strips, but that is and, and that's really where I'm going with mine because Christopher Chance I'm actually I'm making him African American in my version. Ah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Not just to add diversity, which still my line needs it, uh, mm-hmm. but because there are some fertile thematic ground the minority experience. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. as essentially faceless, the concept of quote unquote passing for the majority. Uh, a bit of what uh, John David Washington's character was doing in Black Klansman. You know, that mm. that kind of, I think there's something to be done there. Otherwise, I feel like what Peter Milligan was doing with his Human Target series, playing him as a man who really loses himself in his roles and seems to partition his own personality behind mental walls and then he doesn't know who he is anymore. That's still the way to go. But I would keep the octane level on the action way up, like mm. make it, like really super spy stuff, which I'm not sure the Vertigo series necessarily did. I can't remember. Well, if I don't remember the action, I remember the psychology. Mm-hmm. But I, I want it to be, you know, both those things. Nice. That that sounds really great. I've not been thinking enough about adding and uh, expanding the representation in my characters, but that's something I really support. So that's hats off to you. That's a good job. This is a lineup that has a lot of female characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you don't, you know, you're transforming characters and you go, oh, well, we'll make it our girl, you know. Right. <laughs> Whatever. But, uh, but in this case, it doesn't feel necessary. But I did do it in a way with the Hellcats. Hmm. Because the actual entry is Lieutenant Hunter's Hellcats, but there's a character on the team called Heller, who is the only female character in there. What it is, the entry is a riff on the Dirty Dozen. Mm-hmm. But I'm putting 
Heller in charge of mine instead of that Lieutenant Hunter guy. Uh, it was just generic, you know, it might as well be Sarge or Gunner. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. So Heller's in charge. I like that the word hell is in there. Instead of criminals, Heller's Hellcats are from Earth 666, uh... which is where the soldiers on the side of the evil or destruction will come. Mm. And they come from a morally corrupt universe, so their own ethical outlook is perverse, but they're escaping Earth-666 because they don't want this war to be won by their side. So they're traitors to Earth-666 coming to Earth-777 to hunt down agents from their side as much as to find sanctuary. Some of them have monstrous attributes, so you can imagine brute and snake oil here as demon types. Mm -hmm. Others are just highly trained, like Heller herself. Who I kind of play like Elsa Bloodstone. I don't know why. Maybe because they're redheads. I, I have that. Like That's that. probably a part of it. Yeah, but it works. But it works. It totally works. Yeah. The series would delve into their pasts as well as their present, give us some insight on the forces of destruction from their world. But the main thrust is really a story about defection and what that means. How it might not your conscience, even if you know what you're doing is right. You know, you still have those old loyalties and the idea of home mm -hmm. that you've left and are now betraying. So I, I want to play with, with that element as well. Oh, that's some fun stuff. I like that. I like that a lot. So what I did with them is I more or less kept the crew pretty much the same. But here's my pitch. It's like the war that time forgot, but in hell. So the Hellcats literally go to hell because some higher-ups in the Nazi high command are communicating with demons and the underworld to gain power to win the war. So the Hellcats are going down to hell to stop them. But that also forces them to, like, they're not good people. So they've, they've been criminals. So they have problems. They have to face, like, their own crimes, their own victims, their own mistakes. And there's going to be some torment and torture as well as some striving for redemption, not just for the mission, but from, but from their own backstories. I have to think that Abnegazar, Wrath, and Ghast will make appearances here and there. But that's, that's what I was thinking of. Well, this is very close to being where I put my money. Mm. I love that premise. I think that's very... Like, there's a lot of world building to be done as well, mm -hmm. so... Yeah, uh, it's, it's one of the front runners. Nice. It's not going to win. Okay, that's fine. But it's one of my front runners. I was sure I wouldn't get, you just keep the money for yourself and buy one of your own books. I kind of thought that's what would happen, so that's, <laughs> you know, which I wouldn't blame you. Uh, Huntress. Huntress. Like, she's, that's a big deal. What did you do with her? She's a longtime favorite for obvious reasons. Man, she's just, she's a fantastic character and uh, love the lineage and everything. I just, I'm... Just had to kind of keep her the same, but I've got, so I'm going to give her stories that are set in the 70s. They're going to be kind of a cross between like film noir and the spirit. I really like to do that, you know, because Huntress kind of dresses like a femme fatale, but she's the hero. So I want to have the contrast of her facing a lot of beefcake opponents. So it's like, no, the men are the ones who are drawn more sexually than she. I, you know, I want to tone her costume down a little bit, but make her still you know, powerful. So she's going to have opponents like Prince Puzzle, the Clown King, and the Puffin. <laughs> so I take it that she is Helena Wayne? Yes. She's yes. the daughter of Batman and Catwoman? Abs yes, okay. yes. She'll be Helena Wayne in this version. Well, I'm glad because I went the other way. I, I like the I'd like to have like the representation. I'm glad we got both huntresses mm. on the podcast. Excellent. Yeah, she's the Halo's Batman for me. Obviously, mm -hmm. she's yeah. the stand-in for Batman on the team. And yeah, when I had to choose between Helena Wayne and Bertinelli, 
I went back and forth, really. Uh, but I ended up with Bertinelli because I liked the whole mafia setting. So in this mm. version of events, still different, in this version of events, young Helena is sent to study at a Catholic school slash self-defense academy. But uh, ethically, for the Bertinelli family, the training backfires. So when the Don, her father, dies, she doesn't inherit the throne because, you know, she's a woman, but she's still given a lot of influence now, she's still the daughter of the Don, except she really took her Catholic schooling to heart and she rejects the evil that organized crime does. So she's using her influence as a mafia princess to manipulate her crime family into essentially dismantling itself. Uh, and there's all these dangerous political games to be played there. But also, she's going to first use her resources to destroy other criminal organizations she can't just create a vacuum, you know, mm -hmm. that, that wouldn't serve the purpose. As the Huntress, she's also catching crooks that her other self has funneled into her traps. She's kind of making sure that she can stop the crimes that she knows are going to happen. And uh, so it's Batman meets Green Hornet meets Mobfire, if anyone remembers that, because that was the premise there, like a supernatural take on that. That Mobfire series really did a number on me in, in terms of inspiring me and I, I've used it in, in role-playing games. So here it is. <laughs> here it is with the Huntress at the center of it. Now I'll I'll just admit right now that it's that it's not gonna win my money, but oh my gosh, that's really darn close. I really dig the concept of taking that one part that really was more or less just kind of part of Bertinelli's origin and turning it into the storyline. I really like that. So that that's a that's a great take on on the character and one of the things that bertinelli has is the you know she wears the cross and that's the kind of stuff that the wayne version did not and that ties into all the angelic characters as well that mm -hmm. sort of religious feeling to it so that's where that comes from now that was the last hero in the issue so we're, we're now thinking about what is the bonus book Mm -hmm. What is the bonus book? And in my case, I went right to the last page. Hyena is central to my bonus book. It's called Hyena by Night. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I would like this to be a black and white magazine, uh, the more perfectly to pastiche Marvel's horror mags of the 70s. Uh, what makes it parody is that the, the were hyena in question was one of the Joker's victims. So she's dosed with a combination of Smilex gas and Manbat serum derived from one of his hyenas. So, oh, so, no. so not only oh, no. is Summer Day uh, a humanoid hyena, she's completely insane uh, in a Harley Quinn kind of way, able to break the fourth wall and uh, generally treat her magazine as if it were only a couple doors down from Ambush Bug's office. So it's a spoof, but of horror comics. We've had a lot of spoofs of superheroes mm -hmm. in this kind of format, but not that genre. So we can laugh at we can laugh at Vertigo. We can laugh at the black and white magazines. We can laugh at uh, you know Steve Gerber. We can laugh at EC Comics. We can laugh at all of that in this book, and it's going to be in blazing black and white. <laughs> I, I really like just the idea about it being called Hyena by Night. I just, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm on board with that. And so, what did you pick? I mean, there aren't a lot of choices once we get rid of all these heroic characters. What's left? I went for Hector Hammond. Wow. I thought maybe Harlequin was maybe like, no. <laughs> like a potable character. Hector Hammond. Hector Hammond. Okay. Hector so, Hammond. well, here's what we got. Here's what we're going for is that he's trying to live normal life and it's going to be a sitcom. 
So again, we're going to be spoofing the villain experience. But this also really ties into, say, you know, Dr. Psycho is in in the Harley Quinn series and the current MODOK series that Marvel does. And really his parallel to MODOK is a little bit closer than I want, but hey, that's he worked for me on that front. He's got a roommate that he mind controls whenever the roommate gets super annoying. And he goes out and tries to do normal things in life, like go to the store and get his car's oil changed and you know get his his flying chair re you know pimped out but he's he's a total jerk but he's always like he says dumb things and he's always getting put in his place unfortunately he also can't use his powers too much in public because his parole officer is guy gardner so he and guy gardner's brain damage now makes guy immune to hector's powers so Guy's not going to be there, but his presence kind of informs the series. And that is like, I, 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 he can't, he can't, someone gets really frustrating for him. It's like, no, he can't just do what he wants to do because there's Guy Gardner. So, but he's also a complete jerk and, and that leads to other problems as well. And so I could also see it like at some point there's got to be a pastiche issue where he tries to form a school for special students, trying to make his H-men, but it goes all wrong and these teenage brats just haze him and mock him the whole way through until finally he has to just send them all home. <laughs> you win. <laughs> I was going to... I was going to... Like, for for the longest time, my standard was Gunner and Sarge. I, I, I swear to God, I was so intrigued with how you could work a POW camp as a comic book setting, plus Pooch. Oh, you yeah, know, Pooch. He's in there. That was my front runner all the way through. And I was always, like, comparing an idea to mm -hmm. that and thinking, well, my five bucks is still going to Gunner and Sarge, still going to Gunner and Sarge, still going to Gunner and Sarge. <laughs> it's going to whatever your Hector Hammond's <laughs> comic is called. At home with Hector. I don't know. Life with Hector. Life with Hector. If I have money for one series in your universe, it's going to have to be Life with oh, that's Hector. Great. <laughs> comes in at the, you know, last minute under the wire uh, to get my five bucks. Nice. So here's your five bucks. Here's your five digital bucks, not real bucks. Mm -hmm. And you get to buy a not real comic book from my universe, mm -hmm. from the Earth 777 line. So um, it was tough. You had a lot, so many good concepts going in there. And also it was, you start right out of the gate with Pooch. So again, it was like, we both kind of had that same problem, didn't we? Like a, the first one kind of became the one to beat. Mm. You are, you're already like right out of the gate. It's like, oh man, I'm already hooked on this one. But Boy, I really liked, you know, Hawk Girl. But at the end of the day, I also know, just going for reality of where I like to spend my money. I've always liked to spend my money on the team books. And what did you set up with Halo? You set up Halo as a team book. So guess what? It's the where I've got to put my money. It makes sense. I, I would do probably do the same because you get like six of the members have their own series. And so you, you know, like just skip to the end. Just go to. <laughs> but, you know, and you also pull in Gabriel Doe in there. So always fun with that. It's got exactly what I would want in a book. So that's where I'm going to spend my money at. Very good. Um, and it's fun because I get to do many shows. So a lot of five bucks come in my way. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. This sounds like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> Started with episode three. So I'm at uh, 40 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dear listeners, it's time uh, to go to fireandwaterpodcast.com. Tell us what you think. Would you read any of these books? 
If you were in charge, what series would you offer using these characters? And if you like this content, think about visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast. I hope you had fun, Tim. Pimp your projects. Tell people where they can find that uh, that Outsiders podcast. I'd be glad to. And I, I did have fun. This was a, a, a great little thought exercise. It, it made me have to go a little bit outside of the box, which I'm terrible at. So thank you for that. I'm on the Right On Network with the Outcasters, our Batman and the Outsiders podcast. You can find that with me and Ashford Wright on it. Our website is thehunterspodcast.com because it also shares a feed with the Huntress podcast and the Batgirl Cassandra Kane podcast. I am a co-host on the Batgirl Cassandra Kane show as well. You can find my Twitter feed at Bat Outcasters or the Twitter feed at Huntress Podcast, as well as find me personally at Tim Price 17. There you go. Obviously, Huntress was in this show, so it's all related. So thank you for trying the experiment with me. And until next time, who's editing? We, we are. And the interesting thing about Hawkman is he's got three Wikipedia entries because he's so confusing. It's not even all under one umbrella. This ancient Egyptian guy, he reincarnates, but he reincarnates across time and space. So this Thanagarian version is really the same guy. He just reincarnated and it's all the same thing. <laughs>